0: sought after for their success, and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the Mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your Mentor.
1: Well, hello, and welcome to you all to the Mentors Radio Show. I'm Rick Brudico, your mentor host for today, and I'm glad you joined us as this show promises to be very informative and very helpful to each one of us. Today, we're going to speak with a physician, an emergency trained doctor, the medical director of MedHero Urgent Care Facility. Grab a friend by the collar and have him join us too. I'm sure they will be very grateful. You see, our topic is urgent care, the flu, and you. As we all know, the Affordable Care Act has caused many problems and made care harder to get and more costly. But today we hear why big government cannot solve these kinds of problems with more and more regulations, but American business ingenuity does make the difference. We'll be tackling two big issues, the urgent care service model and why it works, and specifically what you can do about the flu. We'll be covering this subject, and we'll learn how to effectively avoid the long waits in crowded emergency rooms by using your nearby urgent care provider. However, before we do, we've got a couple of housekeeping things I have to take care of with three quick reminders. We love your feedback and questions. Leave us a question anytime, 24-7, at 844-610-8265. That's 844-610-TALK. And... Like us on Facebook at The Mentors Radio. Finally, visit our website, www.thementorsradio.com, where you can review all of our show notes, use our links to the guest resources and giveaways, and of course it's all free, and you get complete access by going to thementorsradio.com. Oh, I almost forgot. Every show is archived on the site, so you can review today's show as well as all the other shows every show the mentors as a group of us have done. But now, let me tell you about today's mentor guest, Dr. Gregory Moreno. Dr. Moreno received his training at USC Keck School of Medicine, also at Georgetown University Hospital in D.C., and his emergency medical training at L.A. County US hospital, USC Hospital Trauma Center. Dr. Moreno has been practicing since 2003 when he was at the VA hospital associated with Georgetown University Hospital. He practiced for over 10 years at the Los Alamitos Hospital in the Emergency Care Facility. In 2016, he started MedHero Advanced Urgent Care and Telemedicine in San Clemente, California. So this is quite a transition. And with that, I want to welcome Dr. Moreno. Hello, Dr. Moreno. How are you doing today?
2: Hello, Rick. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you.
1: Well, first, let me thank you uh, for taking the time from what I know is a very busy practice to talk to us about urgent care and specifically about this flu epidemic that is going around. I'm sure you're seeing a lot of flu patients today.
2: Uh, we've definitely been inundated. It's, uh, it's a record season for, for most medical facilities around here.
1: Well, you're not, setting, tent, you're not setting tents up outside your uh, office, are you?
2: Thankfully, thankfully we haven't had to do that. That's uh, only been in a couple of hospitals down here, but, um, you know, it's, it, it seems to, it feels like it sometimes, like it's, a, it's becoming a necessity, but thankfully we've been able to handle the numbers.
1: Well, I think when we, uh, as we get into this a little more, um, I think you can tell us why your, not just your, but urgent care facilities can seem to manage this kind of a crunch uh, easier than the emergency, rather urgent care, yeah, rather than the emergency room um, hospital facilities. but. I guess I really want to start here, Dr. Moreno, after years of training and getting your board certification as an ER doc and 10 years working in a busy ER, what made you decide to kind of ditch all that and start your own practice and why the urgent care?
2: Well, it's it's true. As an emergency physician, you, you, you never expect to go out and start your own business. I mean, you do an emergency medicine residency for four years and you expect the rest of your career is going to be spent doing shifts in the ER. But It's been interesting. Over the last several years, the handwriting's been kind of on the wall that that uh, overall satisfaction on, on both ends have been declining. Satisfaction of the patients with increased wait times, uh, satisfaction to the staff in having to accommodate more and more patients, and a, and a large percentage of those patients who don't necessarily need the ER but, but can't find help otherwise as urgently as they, as they are looking for it, and, and in a lot of cases as urgently as they need it. So in, in looking at that and, and understanding that many good colleagues of mine who were, who were older than I was were leaving the specialty because of some of those pressures, you had to try to adjust and find, you know, what you were going to be doing the next twenty years to try to sustain your career and sustain your satisfaction in the field that is a great field of, uh, you know, patient service and, and uh, providing medical care to people. And so, it, to me, it just became about trying to find what was my value after you know ten years of emergency medicine. Where was my value greatest uh, you know, applied? And, and and that's how I started Medhero as a telemedicine company. You know telemedicine was you know, just starting to form and become uh, an established way of of getting care and, and keeping people out of the emergency department. And so we started MedHero as a telemedicine company. And I quickly realized there was you know there was one way to be more efficient and keep people who who could fall under that telemedicine um, uh, application uh, out of the emergency room.
1: Well, we want to get so, to that in a bit, and we'll get in more detail about it. But one of the things that I I seem to remember in one of our conversations that you told me that uh, I think this was when uh, you were uh, about the time when you were at USC, uh, County hospital, County general hospital. And you told me that there were just the, the waiting room was inundated with all kinds of people, everything from, you know, stabbing wounds to, to freeway uh, accident victims, to overdoses of various medical, to people who just want had a, a fever and wanted their temperature taken or a couple of aspirin. Um, and, and you told me how that affected you. Can you go into a little bit of that for our guests so they get an idea what, what happens in an emergency room besides people who are suffering heart attacks?
2: Absolutely. I mean, training at a USC you know, Trauma Center, that's exactly, that was our, our bread and butter, you know, gunshot wounds, you know, stabbing victims, you know, significant car accidents. And as an emergency physician, you you, want, you didn't necessarily want to see those, but you wanted to be of service in those kinds of situations and so that's what we were trained to do we were highly trained to handle those you know significant life threatening emergencies but as you know various pressures for, for patient care have developed we found more and more patients there significant percentages of the patients who truly don't have an emergency that day they just you know either d- conveniently wanted to be seen that day but a lot of them just couldn't be seen elsewhere and so they would wait you know up to 16 hours to be seen by us and and, and that trend has only continued to today i mean it's astounding you, you see patients waiting that long you go and call them on the microphone you expect there's no way this patients going to going to walk you know walk up to the door and you know 16 hours later they've been in that waiting room and they actually do come knocking on the door and say when their name's called and, and it's been you know it, it's been a sad thing to see some of those patients still trying to get care in the emergency room because they either don't know or haven't have had access to see, to getting care elsewhere
1: well, that that's a, what I was so surprised to learn myself. But having been into an emergency room a number of times, I've sat, I've gone from desk to desk. I filled out forms, form after form, and finally they call us in. So we're kind of coming up against a break, but I'd like to talk about that a bit after our break, if you don't mind, and you can lay out the, the model for urgent care and why it's different and how it solves some of those problems. So listeners, stay with us. You're listening to Dr. Gregory Moreno. Uh, His topic is urgent care, the flu, and you, and we'll hear a lot more about that later on.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Well,
1: welcome back. If you just joined us, you're listening to The Mentors Radio. I'm your mentor host for today, Rick Brudico. We're talking with Dr. Gregory Moreno, whose topic is urgent care, the flu, and you. Right before we left, Dr. Moreno, you were telling us how you made the the jump, if you should say, the change in your practice from being an ER doc at a busy ER facility to starting your own urgent care. Uh, I think possibly would be helpful to our listeners, especially as you introduced the telemedicine concept, I think it would be helping our listeners to better understand what an urgent care is, what it does, and what it doesn't do well, and maybe the same token of what an emergency room is and what it does and doesn't do well so they can differentiate between the two.
2: Sure. Yeah, Urgent. the urgent care model has been around for decades, and, and it's been yeah. – fairly unregulated uh, in, in contrast to the emergency room an emergency room is tied to the hospital and you know it's traditionally been a place to treat you know, life-threatening emergencies heart attack stroke major trauma uncontrolled bleeding but the, the urgent care model has traditionally been yeah, a primary care doctor who has some extra hours after after their regular office hours and, and even on the weekend in some cases but as it is unregulated there hasn't been any standard across the board and so patients have been able to utilize it in a lot of in a lot of instances Keep themselves from having to go to the emergency room, but at the same time they don 't know what they 're going to get by the, the use of the word urgent care as it 's been up till now and so walking into any one of these facilities you didn 't know if they had an x ray machine you didn 't know if they had a physician who can handle or, lacerations or, or, or various things that wasn 't part of their day to day practice and so nowadays, you know companies like ours are trying to change that model a bit. The main focus when I was talking to you earlier about you know, just looking at, at the opportunities of telemedicine and keeping patients out of the ER, the main focus I've been um, you know primarily tasked with is now keeping patients out of the ER who don't truly belong there. And that's where I've found my greatest value as an ER physician with 10 years you know, plus experience is in knowing what patients truly belong in the emergency department and what patients can be handled, uh, taken care of you know, properly outside of that emergency room.
1: Well, given what you said before in the, in the previous uh, segment before our break, when you talked about how long people wait, and so I think you mentioned 16 hours some patients wait uh, uh, for things that could be handled rather expeditiously, but they have to wait till their turn comes up because of some very serious things that take place. You know, I, I think to myself as a patient that uh, how do I know when I should go to the urgent care and when I should go to the uh, ER?
2: That's a great question, and we'll often get patients calling in to try to get that question answered, but inevitably you know, it's, it, the nurses answering that, that phone call will will direct them to, to come in and get seen because it's a, it can be a very dangerous thing to give out advice over the phone in that setting. But that question is, is answered in, in primarily by a couple of key points. You know, an emergency is certainly something that you know, the patient perceives as, as life or limb threatening. And so traditionally it's been you know, heart attack symptoms, you know, chest pain, stroke symptoms with you know, neurologic dysfunction, you know, major trauma obviously, um, and, and most people have an understanding of, of what is major trauma and what is you know, minor and significant trauma, and then uncontrolled bleeding. You know, th- those are those are significant emergencies that most people would agree on needs to be seen I- immediately. Uh, the rest of it, it, it is really kind of a gray area. It, you know, if it's not just a, a minor cold or, or, or um, you know insignificant wound, it's kind of a gray area. And patients are looking for some direction there, but they're starting to understand that there are other other outlets where they can get care for those those kinds of problems because they used to get them from their primary care doctor, but the wait for a primary care doctor has now, in this age, grown to. You Almost three weeks to be seen, and so you can see where that need for not necessarily urgent life threatening emergent life threatening cares is there, but but urgent care is becoming necessary because they can 't wait three weeks for a lot of these types of things in most cases they they can 't wait you know more than a day or two, and so the rise of urgent care is certainly upon us
1: well that 's interesting because I recently had a personal experience. Uh, and I'm sure many, many people that are listening to you today are saying similar things to this. Where I tried to see my doctor, who'd been my doctor for many years, and I uh, called in, and you know, first you get if this is 911, if this is a problem with 911, hang up and call uh, 911 rather. If this is a life-threatening problem, and then you listen to all the other things. Touch one for if you're a pharmacist, one if you're a doctor. I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say it's a two-minute voicemail that you listen to first. And then when you get through all of that, usually, at least what happened in my particular case, is I got transferred to a message machine, further message machine, named all the doctors in my practice, and then said, if you need to talk to somebody today, talk to this nurse, and it tells you the name of the nurse, and then it transfers you to the nurse, and what do you get? Another message machine. And in my particular instance, it was uh, over something similar to the flu, in my particular instance, it actually turned out that... They gave me an appointment, but they didn't even call me back 24 hours. And they actually say on the message, we'll call you back within 48 hours, but I had a high fever and everything. So I guess what I'm saying is it makes a lot of sense to me, this, this urgent care model, because it provides for immediate treatment. But I'm wondering when you're talking to primary care physicians, and I'm certainly not putting them down. I have, I think, a very good primary care physician. But my question is, how do they know what is emergency and what is not
2: well, efficiency is what you 're talking about, and and, and that 's where my focus is, has been is, is trying to be as efficient as possible in in giving patients the right information and, and their primary care doctors do a fantastic job of this when they can be reached right but primary mm-hmm. care doctors you know have primary care hours and, and and they have primary care appointments and so trying to get that information you know primary care physicians are pretty darn good at, at knowing what things they can handle and what things you know is out of their scope but you know, I'm, I'm biased as an emergency physician, obviously, but who better to know what should be in the ER than an emergency physician? And so, you've got some advice being given in the primary care sector, which is fantastic. But there's there's a the what's missing in there is that advice where it's in that gray area, and that's what patients are looking for. So they go on to Google, and and they try to look up their condition, which inevitably ends with, you know, death. And so that drives them to the ER. <laughs> um, you know, trying to help themselves is what, you know, the, the, the patient these days is doing with the technology that's available to them. And so efficiency is what we're trying to get better at. And I think I think emergencies, emergency physicians who are in the urgent care sector right now are really providing the most efficient care and, and, and cutting down those wait times, cutting down that cost. And and that's certainly what's what's driven me and my company.
1: Well, 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 that's kind of something I was going to ask you about So I guess it sounds like from what you just said all urgent cares are not the same. In other words, they don't all have. I heard you say before they don't all have X-ray, or they may not all have one of the some of these things. But but uh, are are all urgent cares uh, run by emergency uh, you know uh, specialists, emergency docs?
2: Uh, Absolutely not, and and you know, I I, this again wasn't something that I set out to 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 do, you know, years ago when I went into this field, but once I realized the need in in this community, and 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 certainly it's the same elsewhere you start to realize that there is no, since there is no standard, that you don't, you know, you don't know if you're getting a physician who can handle a laceration, a broken bone, um, or a significant abdominal pain. And so I went around to all of the urgent cares in the area to try to determine what the patient experience was going to be at those places. And and while, you know, most urgent cares do a very good job of, of, of treating, you know, a certain number of conditions, they by no means are as efficient as they can be at truly keeping patients out of the ER. And so what you'll find in a lot of these places is they're not used to handling the kind of things an emergency physician handles. So once you put an urgent care like ours in, in the hands of an emergency physician, we can give you know, more thorough advice in that case. We know what is done in the ER and what isn't. And one of the most frustrating things as an ER physician over the years has been having people sent there erroneously, either by a primary care doctor uh, or, or, or by somebody else in the medical field, who's told them, you need to go to the ER for this, and they've waited there, you know, eight hours or or ten hours to be told, you know, this isn't an emergency, you can go home. Um, And so that's what urgent care is being run by emergency physicians like ours um, is, is trying to handle.
1: Well, I I appreciate that because it it makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, you don't, when you go in, you don't know really what your issue is or what your problem is. And the last thing you want to do is wait at the ER for a long period of time, even if they ultimately tell you, you can go see your doc. This is not an emergency. You spent a lot of time and effort but we're coming up against the break again and so well I'd like you know I want to focus on your name med hero when we come back to the break maybe you can tell us uh, who is the hero and what does that apply to so listeners stay with me and you'll hear Dr. Reno explain what a med hero is in his urgent care facility
0: and now Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, welcome back again. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Mentors Radio. I'm your mentor host for today, Rick Brudico. We're talking with Dr. Gregory Moreno, whose topic is urgent care, the flu, and you. Right before the break we were discussing urgent care, the difference between urgent cares and the emergency room and the, and what urgent care fills a specific need and how it speeds patients delivery to uh, medical answers, medical questions, medical solutions, and it cuts down time in the weight room by I mean in the ER room by eliminating that long wait that people experience for so many other things that are going on. I mentioned also that the, the name of Dr. Moreno's facility is uh, urgent care, uh, advanced urgent care and, with, and telemedicine. And what I'd like to, to ask you now, doctor, is to describe a little bit about MedHero, which I know has something to do with that somewhere, and uh, maybe explain to our listeners why there's a difference in what you're calling advanced and what therefore might be less advanced.
2: Sure. So the name MedHero came from the app that we developed for telemedicine. Uh, in this age of technology, the, the, it's gotten so good that patients can provide you know a lot of medical information uh, through their smartphones, and they can be in touch and, and send video and pictures of, of various conditions. and And, and Apple and, and the companies like that are only you know producing more technology these days that can convey medical information to a specialist such as myself. And so MedHero was the name of the app, and the hero was, you know, the, the patient who was able to get their care right through their smartphone from wherever they worked, whether that was advice or whether that was an appropriate prescription. Um, and then once
1: we well, realize... Doctor, that, that, doctor, let me interject right here. Sure. So we have listeners of all ages, people that listen to this program of all ages, and some might not be really familiar with what you're referring to. So maybe you want to just describe an app briefly so they get the idea of the kinds of things that they can access in, your, in, in this particular MedHero app.
2: Sure. So, so through the MedHero app, which is just, you know, an app that you download on your smartphone, you're you're able to put in your your medical complaint, your medical history, and then request urgent medical help. And requesting that urgent medical help through the app puts you directly in contact with an ER physician. And so, as soon as you put in your information and request that help, you're on the phone with an emergency physician who can provide you with you know answers to your questions, can provide you with the proper advice as to whether you truly need to go to the ER for that condition, or whether it's something that can be handled through the telemedicine consult, and that's through pictures that's through uh, interactive video um, and so that's that's the telemedicine app and
1: so now, when yeah. you say pictures, when you say pictures, do you mean that? I could take a picture of, let's just say, uh, a rash on my arm or something, and you would see it. Is that, is that what you're referring to?
2: Absolutely. Rashes are very amenable to telemedicine. You know, things like pink eye, you know, urinary tract infections don't require a picture, but they often require, you know, simply the right story in the right setting to to get a prescription, and that's been validated in the literature. So things like that that sometimes require a picture and sometimes require just the, the, the proper conversation and evaluation have been safely treated outside of a direct medical visit. And so these are virtual visits, if you will
1: and and then do they tie together with uh, uh, ultimately a visit to the to the uh, rather urgent care or is that even not necessary sometime
2: Well, in in, in some cases, it may not be necessary, but certainly available, and and that's where we started the actual brick-and-mortar MedHero. Once we realized that there there was still no standard in urgent care, if we tried to send the patient to somewhere uh, other than uh, the ER, they often couldn't handle the kinds of problems that we were trying to send to them, and so we built MedHero as an advanced urgent care as well.
1: Okay, so tell me advanced. That was the other thing I was wondering, what that means, advanced
2: advanced is, is, is to try to, to give uh, the understanding to the patient that this isn't your standard urgent care. This, there's ER physicians taking care of, of, of patients here. There are, um, uh, there are there's an x-ray machine. There are the kinds of, uh, of tools at our disposal in the advanced urgent care that we would have in the emergency room to try to keep you uh, from having to get in, back into that system. If we, if we didn't have those tools you know, we'd be very limited in what we can do there. And so x-ray is just one of them, but you know, an ER physician is used to using a vast array of tools to try to treat a vast array of, of medical urgencies. And so you'll hear other terms like prompt care or immediate care, and people are trying to differentiate themselves from what has traditionally been you know, a, a crapshoot in terms of what you're, what you're going to get when you walk into a quote-unquote urgent care.
1: Well, the, that that makes sense to me, and I and I think I read somewhere, maybe on your website or somewhere, that there's a you also do stuff for so sort concussion baseline things such as that. I mean, that that doesn't sound like urgent, but yet imagine it could be an urgent condition.
2: Absolutely, I mean the concussions come into the emergency room all the time, and 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 the vast majority of them don't require a head CT, and so being able to differentiate those cases in an urgent care setting can save a lot of patients the trouble and hassle and, and cost of going into the emergency room. Now, we want patients with significant head trauma, you know, thinking that an urgent care is the right place for them. But for the patients that are unsure and who might even skip the emergency room because of the cost and time involved, you know, having, having the expertise at these advanced urgent cares is, is what we're trying to provide and, and get them to come in and be seen when they might not otherwise.
1: Well, it sounds like a great a great uh, thing we're doing here because I, again, as I said before, I've experienced long waits in emergency rooms, usually with someone else. In other words, I have either my wife or one of my kids or something I'm there with. And I'm sure this this is the story I hear from so many people. And uh, it seems to me to get just the answer I want. And I also like the idea of being able to get a prescription. So let me ask you this. if If you haven't seen me, let's say and I need a prescription refilled. Can I do that or do I have to come in and be seen or can I do that with the application?
2: That's a very common question that we get and and the answer is it really depends. It's certainly worth exploring and, and, and doing a consult to find out because in most cases we can if it's safe for you as a bridge to seeing your primary care doctor because some patients can't get an appointment for weeks and they shouldn't be without certain medications that are very important. And so, discussing that and sending it in the right cases is, is is something we can do through telemedicine. At the same time, you know, requests for pain medications is something that we get also that is inappropriate to be done through telemedicine. So we try to list those things out in the website, and and and, and telemedicine, as a specialty, tries to list those kinds of of problems you can expect to be solved. Uh, on their various websites. But on ours, you know, at MedHero, we try to outline those things you can expect to be treated for and and the kinds of medication refills that are appropriate.
1: Well, that this is kind of just a curious question along that line. So um, you've obviously consulted with people other than in your own backyard. Do you remember where the furthest uh, patient away was that consulted with you?
2: That was a patient in South Korea, actually, uh, an American (laughs) patient in South Korea who was traveling and knew that they were coming back to the States and and they had a condition which um, needed to be treated pretty rapidly. And so uh, by the time they got home, the prescription was waiting for them. They couldn't get into their doctor, obviously, after hours like that and um, didn't have to wait another full day to get treatment for their urgent condition. So that's probably the furthest away that we treated the patient. It was fantastic that it worked in that case.
1: Well, you know, it gets me about that to hear that story, and I think, well, again, we're coming up to a break, so we might want to pick this up after the break. But uh, it just shows you, with with uh, when you use this modern technology we have to to the correct use, to the correct uh, objective, you can get marvelous benefits out of it. Uh, maybe you can just start telling us now. What can what, what what do you think the future of telemedicine is? Where where is it going, or or have we reached the the zenith already?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It certainly remains to be seen, but it just makes, it makes too much sense that, that it's, it's headed to a place where it's going to become more widespread. It just, it just makes too much sense. To, to be able to treat patients where they are for the right condition alleviates the burden of the system incredibly.
1: Well, that's great. And uh, as I said, we're coming up against the break. so after the after the break, uh, we're gonna get back with Dr. Moreno or ask a little bit more about this magic that I understand is the telemedicine and the way doctors will treat us in the future, but it's already available today. So stay with us and let's hear what we're gonna learn about telemedicine.
0: And now, Back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, welcome back again and thanks so much for sticking with us because I am really enjoying this uh, conversation we're having with Dr. Greg Moreno, learning so much about so many new things that I haven't no- known a lot about uh, in my uh, in my lifetime. and that is especially this focus on telemedicine. So I'm your mentor host for today, Rick Brutico, and as I said, we're talking with Dr. Moreno and the the topic is urgent care. He runs an urgent care facility. Uh, He's he's the director of an urgent care facility, and uh, we also want to touch on the flu, so we're hoping to get both of those two things in, but before we do, right after the break, right before the break, rather, we were talking to Dr. Moreno about telemedicine, and he was telling us some of the great things he could do, including treating a patient in Sol Carina, Um, and giving him, uh, getting him some medicine so that when he arrived home, he was ready to uh, pick it up and, and I guess, uh, go to work or whatever he had to do after that long flight. So I'd like to kind of explore that a little more with you, Dr. Moreno. Can you kind of give us a little more idea about telemedicine and along the way, At some point, tell us how uh, listeners could download the app or at least look at the app so they could uh, see what we're talking, get a a visual of what we're really talking about. Uh, So tell us about the future of telemedicine and how we use it today and where you think it might go.
2: Sure. So, you know, telemedicine is is basically the idea of treating a patient uh, in a place other than you are. So treating them where they are, where they happen to be. Um, You know, it started with the space program and NASA and treating astronauts uh, uh, up in space. And so obviously, you know, they would have to get, you know, information down to them to be able to make diagnoses and and give advice. And then it went on to rural towns where they didn't have a specialist in that area. And so, you know, with with a a computer screen or or even uh, something like a tablet, you know, you would have an interaction with a patient in a room where you, you know, you, you weren't physically there. And so as that became more established and, 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 the, and had some credibility, it now, with, with the technology that we have in our in our hands with our smartphones, has become accessible to, to just about anybody with a smartphone. And so there have been certain apps out there that can try to provide things, um, to provide telemedicine, but where we've taken it now is in the hands of an emergency physician. And so... Telemedicine, to my mind, is most useful in situations where you have an urgent medical need. And so an emergency physician can help diagnose how urgent that need is, and uh, you download the app, you put in your medical information, and like I said, you're immediately talking to the emergency physician who you would be seeing uh, after your 8- or 16-hour wait in the waiting room. And so if you can do that immediately, you know, just by clicking on your app, then, you know, imagine what that can do for for the population at large.
1: Well, that's yeah, I, I can see that immediately. I mean, if I can get that information, because I, I, all I know when I go in there is I have a fever of 102, let's say, and, and I'm coughing and I have no idea what I really have. And 16 hours later, they tell me, guess what? You've got the flu. And I go great. What do I do? When they say go home. I mean, I guess maybe I'm may, maybe overplaying this, but it does seem to me that the uh, the advantage of knowing and being able to react immediately seems to be a great benefit to the patient, and uh, that alone makes uh, telemedicine kind of like a marvelous thing. Um, so with, with that is is the, I, I want to I know that I, as I said to you, I think at one of the um, earlier times we talked today, my my producer of this show is listening to this show because she is sick with the flu. And so she said, I'm going to listen carefully. So maybe we could get into the flu, talk about a little bit about it. And, uh, you know, we've heard all kinds of things about it's the wrong strain. It's a bad strain or whatever it is. So maybe you could give us your, your uh, the primer on the flu sure
2: um you know we were we were all hit hard right about right about the holiday season with uh with with the number of flu patients and i think it caught you know it caught everybody off guard because it it was an earlier season than was was typical um on top of that we've now learned that it's a strain that is traditionally more aggressive um in that it puts more patients into the hospital and can and can lead to more deaths. And so that's the type A H3N2 uh, virus. And so, you know, you'll hear stories about the, the vaccine not, maybe not being as as, as uh, efficacious as it could be. But at the same time, it's very important for patients to understand that, you know, things like the vaccine are not necessarily just meant to keep you from getting the flu and, and however effective or ineffective that might be. Be, but also meant to decrease the severity of the flu. So, you know, as hard as, as society is being hit, and it's really nationwide right now by this flu, um, we just have to keep in mind those things that we can do to try to both treat and, you know, more importantly, prevent the transmission of it.
1: Well, I got a couple of questions along that line. And this first one, uh, just don't break out laughing, but over my lifetime, uh, I've been told many times uh, as a youngster and further on that I was the flu. And sometimes the flu seemed to include an upset stomach, vomiting, diarrhea. Other times it was respiratory. Other times it was high fever. So is there a definition of the flu?
2: Well, when we speak of the flu, we're speaking about influenza virus, right? And traditionally, influenza A and influenza B viruses are the ones that cause these kind of uh, seasonal um, uh seasonal epidemics. And so but you're right. So many other viruses can cause you know similar symptoms. And so, you know, traditionally when we speak about the flu and influenza, we're talking about, you know, rapid onset of fever cough, sore throat, and body aches, and the body aches can be significant, and that's, that's one of the defining features of the flu that makes it different from some of the other traditional viruses. Now, there can be vomiting, there can be diarrhea associated with these as well, but the patient is, not every patient is going to develop the same symptoms, even though they have you know maybe the same virus and so that's another thing that makes it complicated. And so we do have tests to try to determine is this influenza A or B or is it just one of a num- number of viruses that causes this similar picture. And that goes to the treatment of it in some cases if we're able to confirm type A or type B flu or even if we highly suspect it you know we'll use certain treatments. But you know there are so many in this season in, in winter time here there are so many different viruses that are that are giving patients similar symptoms that The main priority is just finding out who's at risk, finding out what things we can do to to help them through whatever symptoms they happen to have.
1: So we hear about this, and I'm going to use, I'm sure, not a medically appropriate word, but that we got the wrong strain. We're treating the wrong strain. The the shot that we get isn't necessarily for the strain that's predominant. Um, Does that mean somebody screwed up or why did we get the wrong strain?
2: No, I mean, this is a very educated guess. I mean, the, the manufacturers of the influenza, going to vaccine do their best to try to guess or try to predict what strains are going to be prevalent, but you can never, you know, this, this is an imperfect science, and so they do their best to find the strain that might be next to your strain, but you're talking about predicting, and predicting, you know, is not perfect. And so, you know, it, unfortunately, it's not until we're in the middle of a season that we determine how, you know, efficacious that vaccine has been. And so, like I said, unfortunately, you know, there's certainly nobody to blame for this, but we, understanding, you know, what's going on helps us to 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 treat and prevent some of these illnesses. But the biggest mistake people make is is believing that either they get the flu from the vaccine, which isn't the case; they get the symptoms of it, but their body, you know, produces a response. And that because it's only maybe 10 to 20 percent effective, that you shouldn't get it. And, and those are mistakes
1: mistakes meaning you should get the the shot is that what you mean the inoculation the best
2: way to prevent transmission and to and to minimize symptoms is to get the vaccine and show your your immune system part of that dead virus so that it can mount an, an immune response so that the next time it sees it you're protected at least somewhat
1: and is is that saying that that it uh, it is something that is helpful to you in any case and also are there age limitations on it
2: Absolutely, there are high risk populations and identifying those populations is one of the biggest tasks we have during this season as medical providers. And so, you know, the, 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 the older and the younger uh, patients are usually more vulnerable. And so the CDC notes that patients over 65, patients under 2 years old, you know, pregnant women, those patients with suppressed immune systems because of conditions or because of medications that they're taking, those are very high-risk populations, and so we definitely want to see those patients sooner than, you know, as soon as possible should they develop symptoms you know, suggestive of the flu.
1: So, so you would you would uh, tell us that we we that are listening to you today, you would tell us that if we have older relatives, especially, they should get in and be be tested, maybe even have an X-ray or something like that to assure that they don't have it. Well, they
2: should talk to a physician for sure, because if they're in the category that that is recommended to get you know certain treatments, then they want to start those as soon as possible. And in a lot of in most cases, you know, less than 48 hours from the onset of the illness is what's recommended. So. You can see how getting seen, getting seen you know, immediately is usually the right thing to do, and, and, and that's, you know, that's where telemedicine and urgent care have been able to alleviate that burden.
1: Well, okay, we are coming up to a break again, so let's uh, end it there. But right after the break, we're going to ask what are the, some of the common, uh, uh, common uh, symptoms of the flu, are there tests for flu, things such as that, and how do we get an idea? Maybe we can keep from getting it. Stick with us, and we're talking to Dr. Gregory Moreno
0: about the flu. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, welcome back again. And uh, if you just joined us, we're listening to The Mentors Radio. I'm your mentor host for today, Rick Brudico. We're talking with Dr. Gregory Moreno, whose topic right now is the flu. We've discussed urgent cares. We've discussed emergency rooms. We've discussed telemedicine. And now it's all about the flu. And here's, uh, you want to get your pens and pencils out or be sure to go to our website at uh, www.thementorsradio.com and, and you can listen to the show again and hear some of his advice because I'm going to ask the doctor. In fact, I'm going to ask him right now. Uh, so what are the symptoms of the flu? How do I know when I have it?
2: So as we mentioned, you know, the, the classic symptoms are fever, body aches, you know, cough, sore throat, and they hit you hard. They hit you quick and they hit you hard. And so, you know, trying to prevent those symptoms, you know, trying to prevent exposure is the best way, you know, to go about things, right? I mean, if you can prevent the flu, you know, that's always the best. And hand washing has to be right up there at the top, you know, limiting your exposure right now. I mean, unfortunately, you know, we know that patients can become, can be contagious even before they know they've got it. And so just changing some of our habits is what we need to do. We need to make sure we limit contact right now because it's an epidemic. We need to, you know, keep our hands clean. We need to stay as healthy as we can stay, which means getting rest, you know, getting some exercise, eating properly, and, and staying hydrated. So those are super important things that, that sound very simple, but you'd be surprised how many people, you know, neglect them because of, you know, work or travel or, or other
1: so, so do, when you say things like uh, staying hydrated, as an example, does that mean just drinking a lot of water or is there anything specific we should do?
2: Well, certainly water is usually the thing that hydrates us the best. And so, you know, drinking the right amount of water is, is usually pretty effective if you've got a healthy diet. You know, some patients don't have the healthiest of diets and we get the electrolytes that we need from the foods that we eat. So if our diet isn't the best or certainly if we're not eating because we're not feeling well, then that's where electrolyte solutions can really be helpful. When we talk about treating the flu, you know, there are so many other things out there besides the antivirals that can be necessary. And that's where, you know, patients can talk to their doctor about some of the herbal remedies that are out there. I mean, elderberry, echinacea, things like that have had some pretty good data that shows their effectiveness in in, in helping to boost patients' immune systems to fight these things off.
1: Well, I mean, I also read recently a study that says that just people breathing in a room can pass the flu virus, not sneezing, coughing, anything like that. Just breathing. Is is that uh, too early on to comment on, or do you have a comment? No, I mean
2: absolutely. You know, it's passed that way, and it can even, and it's on inanimate objects too. I mean, it's in the air; it lands on surfaces, and so hand washing, limiting contact. I mean, again, that's where it starts. You know, keeping clean surfaces, using disinfecting wipes those are the things we have to be vigilant about right now.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Moreno. And uh, I have to tell you that it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Uh, I learned a lot from you, learned a lot about telemedicine, a lot about urgent care facilities. And I also learned a lot about the flu. And uh, although I did get it already, uh, I'm glad to say it's behind me. So uh, with that, uh, that wraps up our show for today. You've been listening to The Mentor's Radio Show. I'm your mentor host, Rick Brutico. And we've been talking with Dr. Gregory Moreno, board-certified ER physician and medical director of MedHero Advanced Urgent Care and Telemedicine. If you like what you've heard, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and The Mentors Radio. We'll see you there. This is Rick Brutico, your mentor host, signing off. And remember, every day in every way, do your part to make our world a little better.